Sup guys, my name is Kristen. My name is Sarah. And get ready to slap your grandpa because it's the Red Rum and Red Wine Podcast. We do not condone nor approve of slapping your grandpa, but I am going to have to say after this episode, like, you're you're going to want to slap at least one. <laughs> at least one, because I'm pretty sure that this guy's grandpa at this point. Uh... Yeah, this guy's a doozy. Um, I originally did have another case planned for today's episode, but fate would have it that sticky note got uh, lost in the abyss, so... I did a quick little search on Google, and the headliner of this one just absolutely fucking shocked me. So, um, let's just get into the case of a grandpa named Albert Flick. Now, I'm starting off this case, I guess, a little different than how I usually start mine. It's not, like, right at the beginning. I'm starting somewhat at the end. But on the morning of July 15th of 2018, we have 48-year-old Kimberly Dobby, who was leaving a Dunkin' Donuts in Lewistown, Maine, with her 11-year-old twin boys, and they were making their way down to a nearby Rancourt's laundromat. Unbeknownst to Kim and her boys, though, a 76-year-old man named Albert Flick was quietly following them just out of Kimberly's sight. He did this because Kimberly had actually known Albert and would have recognized him right away if she would have seen him. Mm. Because you see, Albert had actually been following Kimberly around the town for quite some time. It was described in some articles as a few days before this incident. And it was described by witnesses that though she would interact with him, she was constantly denying his romantic advances, though no matter how much she seemed to deny him, he would always seem to be right around the corner the very next day. It would be described by multiple witnesses that he would be pacing right outside of Kimberly's sight as he watched her put a load of laundry into the wash and then stepped outside to make a phone call while her boys followed her and played on the sidewalk right nearby. It was while she was on her phone and the sidewalk had finally cleared of other pedestrians other than her sons that Kimberly would see Albert approach her. Probably thinking that this was just going to be another annoying encounter with Albert and that she would have to quickly brush him off and get on with her day, She is shocked when she sees Albert raise a pink-handled paring knife that he had purchased at Walmart just two days prior. The next events would be caught on a nearby surveillance camera that was located outside, and it would be described that Flick would quickly say something to her, though it's not really known what was said. And Kimberly would be heard screaming, leave me alone, before Flick would plunge the knife into Kimberly Dobby. Albert would begin to repeatedly stab Kimberly when a man named Dennis Fisher, who just so happened to be on town on business that day, so it just seemed like a very chance encounter, would hear Kimberly scream and run outside to see Albert brutally attacking her. Dennis would then rush over 
and what was described as drop kicking Albert and then held him down with his foot on Albert's neck until police arrived onto the scene. Thank you, Dennis, for your service. Oh, yeah, Dennis. Like... <laughs> oh, yeah, Dennis. I read that. I was like, <laughs> in the one of the statements, he's like, I dropped kicked him. I'm like, fuck <laughs> yeah, you did, Dennis. Fuck yeah. Another witness on the scene, Eric Drake, uh, would be the one to call 911, and he would also be the one to hold Kimberly as she bled out on the scene. Oh. Kimberly, unfortunately, would not be able to survive her attack, and an autopsy would show that she had been stabbed a total of 11 times, <gasps> with some of the wounds piercing both her lungs and heart. So it... I feel like even if help did arrive at that exact moment it was just the chance the brutality of the attack it was just hard to survive that right once police arrived on scene they would detain albert flick and of course once they put him into the precinct they would have to look up his record and i hope the cops at this precinct would look at each other and wondered to themselves how this crime was allowed to happen when the record that popped up showed a man that clearly should have been locked up for the rest of his life because what I'm about to tell you about his life prior to this crime is jaw-dropping. Oh, God. Yeah. Pour your glasses up for this one. It's... Mm. Because it's not even the first time that Albert has been arrested for a murder. Wow. And listen to the details of what I'm about to say next because it is honestly disturbing how history repeats itself. Mm. Because at the age of 36, Albert Flick had been uh, living in Westbrook, Maine. M-E, I believe, is Maine. I put Memphis, but then I looked it up and I believe it's a name. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, so he was living in Westbrook, Maine with his wife, Sandra Flick, and her daughter, Elise, from a previous marriage. I did not find this in a lot of articles, but I did find this in one article that they did have two young sons, two young sons together. And in other articles, they did often say children so like implying that there were multiple so i'm pretty sure that the two young sons sons is very accurate um one thing that kind of sucks about this case is his his arrest record and kind of like his prior life non-existent and his arrest record from i'd say like maybe 2004 to 2010 is kind of like not 100 percent accurate a lot of articles say different things so I try to patch it up to the best of my knowledge and I'll definitely let you know the disparities as they come but at the time in 1979 when he was 36 he was working as a donut shop shop worker and had actually just received a hardship just discharge from the army Uh, I don't really know what kind of discharge that means but like go see a gynecologist for it But now as a veteran, he is falling upon more hardships when 35-year-old Sandra Flick was done with his mishaps and would serve him with divorce papers on January 10th of 1979. 
and would even go as far as getting the cops to kick him out of the apartment. So, like, she was done with his shit. She wasn't... No room for reconciliation. He was out. Bye, bitch. It would be described in one article that Albert, though being kicked out by the police initially, would return multiple times, and Sandra would again have to call police onto her property to try and have Albert removed. But on the day of January 31st of 1979, basically under the guise that he would get out of Sandra's hair if he just got some of his things, he would go over to the apartment and return there for the last time. According to statements from Sandra's then 12-year-old daughter, Elise Kimball, who was, again, from a previous marriage, She would watch through a crack in the door as Albert walked into the apartment and began showing Sandra how to remove hooks from the fishing lines that he had. And it was when he told Sandra to bend down and take one of the hooks off of the pole that Albert attacked, bending Sandra's arm behind her back while covering her mouth with his other hand. And I am so sorry if I have been saying her name wrong, but it is Elsie. That may have been a typo on my part, but it would then be described by Elsie that Sandra would be pushed into a chair and Albert would state that he loved her and didn't want to hurt her. It was upon hearing her mother's screams that Elsie kind of snapped out of her trance and would then run downstairs to a neighbor while hearing Albert yell, now you've had it. Oh. Once she arrived to the neighbors, she would beg for them to call the police, and thankfully, the neighbor's husband decided at that point that he wasn't going to wait for the police. He was going to go up and see what was going on for himself. Oh, shit. And it was actually while he was going up the stairs that he would walk fucking past Albert, and he would notice that Albert at that point was covered in blood. (gasps) Albert would ask the man for help and simply claimed that he didn't mean to do it, while the husband was basically like, fuck you, and ran right past him and ran up to the apartment where he would find Sandra covered in blood and with a visible slash along her neck. Miraculously, I don't know how, but somehow Sandra is still alive at this (gasps) point. And she is able to tell this neighbor's husband that Albert Flick, her husband, was the one that killed her. And she was able to last long enough to say that before she ultimately ended up passing, before, I believe, police were able to make it on the scene. An autopsy would later show that she had been stabbed a total of 14 times (gasps) with a three and a half inch jackknife that police had found later on in the living room. And she had received multiple wounds, very similar to Kimberly, again, in her neck and chest area, with one even said to have pierced her heart. So it's hearing this first case and knowing that it happened, like, some terrible math later, like, it's fucking, it's, why is it so similar? And why? Why did we allow this to happen? And it's... Um, yeah, so I guess let's get into that. Albert, Please. who was 30... <laughs> Albert, who was 36 at the time, would spin the lie that Sandra had been threatening to hurt herself and the children. And at some point, Albert would get fed up with her claims, and that was when he would push her in the chair, 
she Sandra would then yell at, out at Elsie to run downstairs and after that Sandra would then threaten to kill herself with a knife and that is when Albert I guess you know had to defend himself and the knife somehow ended up in his hand and he somehow ended up stabbing Sandra 14 times right because you need to use self-defense when someone is claiming to kill themselves Yes. Yeah. Thankfully, the jury didn't buy into this, and he would be found guilty and sentenced to 25 years in prison. Though in some articles I read 30 years in prison, and honestly, when he gets out, it's like kind of varies. Like some I read 2000, some I read 2007, but I believe that the most accurate time frame is that he got out of jail in 2004 and received a 25-year sentence because the 30-year sentence, um, they kept saying he got out of prison in uh, nine year or nine years early on good behavior and the math doesn't like math, right, when you do it okay. that way. So it, it uh, makes more sense when it's 25 years and he gets out in 2004. Sorry if that confuses anyone. <laughs> but spoiler alert, he gets out of prison. So during his sentencing, his family would describe him as a good man who was simply grown in an atmosphere of violence and, I guess, was trying to excuse his violent behavior. Mm. He would try to appeal his conviction just a year after he was found guilty of the murder of his wife, Sandra Flick. Uh, He would question that the pretrial process and the sufficiency of the state evidence was not valid before the state would tell him no, that the errors in fact were right, and he did in fact kill his wife. And like I had said previously, he does end up getting out of prison, I believe, in the 2004-ish year. And no surprise to those that listen to this podcast, he continues right out of prison with his misogynistic ways. On June 2nd of 2007, Albert would be arrested in Portland for punching and stabbing his alleged girlfriend with a fork. He was charged with misdemeanor. Yeah. Yeah. He is Little Mermaid up in this hoe. (laughs) He was charged with misdemeanor assault involving domestic violence and would later be tacked on with criminal threatening because I am not sure what case it happens in. I wouldn't be shocked if it was both and I'm just not getting the full story, but he is definitely accused of like threatening witnesses female witnesses that go against him and say, oh, I was assaulted by him. He again gets tacked on with the criminal threatening felony and aggravated assault. And I have no idea why he gets tacked on with these charges, but I do know at some point he goes up to a female witness who had an assault charge against him and was like, you'll get yours. So it's just like intimidation yeah, into not wanting to charge. And it mm, just... Keep that little side bookmark it for what fucking pops up for the defense attorney side later on. Because it's just funny. It's funny how it full circles. And two months after this charge, again, he gets charged with the tampering with a witness, which I can only assume is like that incident that I'm talking about. But there is another one that is talked about in 2010. So, like, I don't know which one is referred to. But, again, happens multiple times. 
and violating conditions of his release. So for the charges that he got in June of 2007, he would end up spending six months in jail. And whatever uh, time that he had threatened that witness for that previous assault charge, whenever that happened, he was on probation for said assault charge. So he ended up serving two years in prison from what I read on that. Like I said, a lot of these articles were uh, saying a lot of different, they were saying the same things, but in not a proper timeline. So it was either the 2007 or or 2010 charge that he received a two-year sentence for basically threatening the girl that was charging him for the assault. Because I keep saying 2010 because in 2010... He is found guilty yet again of assaulting a woman when a woman comes running to the police claiming that she was put in a headlock by Albert Flick and repeatedly hit with the butt of his knife only to somehow escape him and then have him chase her around with a screwdriver. Ah. Thankfully, she gets out of the apartment, runs to the police, and when the police go to Albert Flake's apartment or wherever this happened to question him and say, like, hey, so what's going on? They catch Albert Flake attempting to hang himself in the stairway. <gasps> yeah. Uh, guilty. Okay. The jury's... So the jury doesn't have to be hung on that one. <laughs> During the sentence hearing for the assault charge that happened in 2010 when Albert was chasing said woman around with screwdriver, the prosecutor, Catherine Tierney, Tierney, I'm so sorry, girl, you're great, begged the judge on the case to let Albert Flick be sentenced to, I'm not sure if it was the maximum of eight years, we fucking suck as a criminal justice system when it comes to men assaulting women, but I believe it was the max of eight years, stating that he was a danger to society and essentially to every woman in society and in the fucking state of Maine or within fucking reaching distance of Albert Flick. But Judge Robert E. Crowley is a man himself and does what men do best, and that is ignore women and their (laughs) warnings. (laughs) And because anything they have to say. Anything that they have to say. Because what mm-hmm. what does our homeboy Judge Crowley do? He sentences Albert Flick to less than four years in prison for the assault of a woman after this being the second assault after he's gotten out of prison after he killed his wife. Ugh. Judge Crowley himself stated, at some point, Mr. Flick is going to age out of his capacity to engage in this conduct. And basically that incarceration beyond the time that he ages out doesn't seem to make good sense from a criminal logical or fiscal perspective. So they're just saying it's a phase. It's fine. (laughs) Mom, this is just a phase and I will grow out of it. When women go through phases, it's fucking... Hysterical. Hmm. So, yeah. um, There is no such thing as a life sentence. You are now deemed too old to commit murder, and at the age of 77, you should be let out. 
according to Judge Crowley. But Crowley retired just two years after this case and now works at some alternative dispute resolution law firm in Portland. So, you know, he cannot be publicly reached for comment on his lack of criminological perspectives because clearly there is a lack of. Mm. And four years later, Albert would be released in 2014 for being too old. Mm-hmm. Once Albert was released from prison, he would go to live with his nephew in Lewistown, Maine, where he would find his new freedom to find a new obsession in the form of Kimberly Dobby. Oh. So Kimberly at the time was 48 and living at a homeless shelter in Lewistown with her 11-year-old twins. Now, one of the rules for the shelter that Kimberly lived in was that they could sleep there during the night, but during the day they had to be out of the building and basically fend for themselves. So because of this, Kimberly would spend a lot of her time at the library, which is where Albert Flick would ultimately end up finding Kimberly and begin stalking her. He would openly follow her and begin to talk to her. I really don't know what order that this happened in, but I can only assume that once she initially denied his romantic request, he would begin to offer to buy healthy food options for Kimberly's 11-year-old twin boys, which, as a homeless mother with no money, she, as described by friends, like, really felt no other option but to say yes to Albert and kind of interact with him because she had no money to feed her children other than the money that Albert was offering her. She just was in a situation where she had no opportunity to earn money to feed her kids. Right. Someone offers you help like that when you need it, you take it. Yeah. But again, even though she's accepting these meals from Albert, she would tell him, hey, you know, I really appreciate the fact that you are helping me and my kids out, but I am not interested in you romantically, and I don't want to pursue this relationship than anything beyond a friendship level. And even oh, then... So did he try? He was like, other he than was, food, he was like... He definitely tried to pursue her romantically, and multiple witnesses and, like, people who had talked to Kimberly would say that... Kimberly, though she would tolerate Alfred, like she really did not, or Alfred, Albert, (sighs) though she would tolerate Albert, she really did not want him around. Like she was very creeped out by him. Like he was very much older than her at this point. She's just like, you know, I'm trying to raise my two kids. I'm trying to get my life together. I really don't have time for this. I just really want to focus on like making it day by day before yeah. I even worry about a romance or even like and even then like if I'm interested in a romance and I don't want it to be with you then I don't want it to be with you and that should be enough right the fact that like really fucked me up about this case was that Kimberly had actually been awarded an apartment outside of Lewistown right before her murder And she was actually set to meet the caseworker to grab the keys for that apartment the day after her murder. So she was so close to that freedom from Lewistown and from Albert Flick and literally the day before is murdered by fucking Albert. Uh. 
Albert Flick during trial would be would wear black headphones, uh, which was described as to help him hear due to his old age. During the trial, it would be told that Albert had found out the fact that Kimberly had been granted that apartment and was about to move out of Lewistown and came to the conclusion, basically, that if I can't have her, no one can. Ugh. Though, to this day, officially, Albert has never given a motive as to why he committed that crime. Even though there would be multiple people that would come out and testify that Kimberly repeatedly would tell Albert, you know, I don't want a relationship with you. He's very creepy. I want him to leave me alone, but I feel like I can't tell him to leave me alone. You would still have people like the defense attorney victim blame her, which during the trial, this defense attorney, Alan Lobozo, very fitting last name, would essentially tell the jury that there was no indication prior to the murder that Albert was a threat to Kimberly or to society, and that in spite of all of Albert's quote-unquote creepiness, which he, the defense attorney would just try to brush off as, like, old man behavior, he would say, well, Kimberly never went to the police. There was never a police complaint, so how can you say that Albert was really a threat if there was no police complaint. And to that, I'm just like, are you fucking serious? Because the way that you're treating her now during this trial, would she have even been taken seriously by police? Because it's like, in all honesty, let's break down the case for what this really is. It's a case about how we gave a homeless woman no safe space to reside after we kick her and her twin sons out during the night. We give her no access to healthy food options to the point where she feels the need to have to accept this help from this creepy-ass dude that is clearly stalking and harassing her, but she has no other way to feed her fucking kids because we're giving her no fucking option. So she has to say yes because otherwise she's letting her kids go unfed and she's being a quote-unquote bad mom. And on top of that, the creepy-ass man that we're letting this woman talk to is a man that we as society have willingly let out after he has committed multiple, multiple violent fucking crimes against women. So what is... What are we saying here? Is Did this case happen because she's homeless, because she's a woman, because he's a man and he's white, or because we're just like literally built in a society where women are discriminated upon every fucking thing? Because the amount of crime that happens, and I'm not just talking about the United States, I'm talking about Mr. Worldwide, fucking everywhere is that the amount of crime against women is fucking staggering. And me personally, I had a fucking ex in college that took photos without my consent and blew them up on an app that my university loved to use. And what did society do about that? Other than feel like I couldn't say anything because I would be shamed in that situation. And that's not even the worst situation that I can think of that has happened to me. Or that has happened to women around the world. And it's to 
the fact that you are a unicorn, if you can say that no type of sexual harassment or sexual violence has been committed against you as a woman in this globe, is fucking astronomical. It's mind-boggling. Why, why are we saying that women need a curfew rather than blaming the men that are committing these violent acts, not just against women, but on men as well? Peep the next episode because I'm not just about women. I'm non-biased. I'm about the men too. But it's just, it's fucking staggering that we let these men get away with it because the majority of the crime has happened against women and you know it it doesn't matter right doesn't matter no never does never does but you're not alone as a woman you're not alone yeah so my boobs ended up on Pornhub one time because back when fine was a thing uh i was in a video where as a prank somebody else like lifted up my shirt really quick and my boobs showed because i wasn't wearing a bra and we're in and in and out, so it was like in public. And I immediately, like when it happened, covered back over my boobs. And but that's I all thought it takes. you couldn't tell in the video that my boobs showed really at all. But internet sleuths like saved the video, slowed it down, and next thing I knew, there were clips of my fucking tits on Pornhub. Yeah. I had a few guys I knew message me and be like hey, I don't know if you know, I just want to let you know that, like, because I saw your Vine, and then I saw you in an ad on Pornhub. Shit. I was like, yep. Yeah. My ass got blown up on... And they went viral, too, on, like, Twitter and uh, other shit. Oh, well, low-key, go you. (laughs) Right? Like, uh, low-key props, though. Yeah, my ass got blown up on yik yak and i'm just more upset because at the end of the day like you could have at least asked me what my fucking good cheek was because fucking wrong ass side bro (laughs) yeah like ask me for a good angle not my fucking cellulite fucking hanging out like just it's disgusting it's disgusting rat-like behavior Thankfully, me really trying to see the bright side for this case, Albert Flick will never be allowed to walk as a free man again. At least, I fucking pray. Even without the knowledge of his prior assaults, it would take the jury only 40 minutes to find 77-year-old Albert Flick guilty of the murder of Kimberly Dobby. His sentencing hearing would be pushed back quite a few times, um, mostly because Albert's fucking annoying and <laughs> keeps forgetting his diabetes medication. Okay. But on on August 9th of 2019, he does receive a life sentence for the murder of Kimberly Dobby since there is no death penalty that he could have received in the state of Maine. So just to end off on some words from Kimberly's family and friends, they would state that they were very gratified with the jury verdict and that there is at least some piece to the level of his conviction now. Like, they know that he at least, hopefully, fingers crossed, please don't let him the fuck out again because he has proved that old age ain't no thing. Old age ain't nothing but a number. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Elise Clement would say that the judge who released him from prison, a.k.a. Crowley, needs to explain to the woman's sons why their mother is now dead. She would state that the boys are now the ones that are going to have to live with this and that I think the judge should have to explain to them, to tell them how come they have to watch how come they had to watch their mother be slaughtered on the street. There is no age that is too old to commit murder, and he should have never been left on the streets. And, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get much background information on the victims, but definitely just want to take a moment to remember Kimberly and Sandra and the two women that weren't named from his previous assaults and just to highlight the fact that after Sandra it should not have happened to any other woman and the fact that Kimberly as a homeless woman or just as a homeless person shouldn't have been given the treatment I feel maybe I'm speaking out of turn but I really don't care because I I feel like I know the United States just fucking was the only vote to say that food is not a universal need but I feel that no human should have to worry about what food they're getting or if the food that they're getting is fucking chemically processed or maybe going to give them cancer later on or just like they we should allow healthy options for people for non-exorbitant prices it's it just highlights a lot of the issues that we have not only in our criminal justice community but in the homelessness community because social justice social justice thank you because it's fucking staggering it's upsetting 2018 not not that it's far like yesterday, off yesterday <laughs> it was yesteryear i blinked and that just happened it's why why it's upsetting i've experienced it sarah's experienced it i'm assuming i would hope that not a lo- lot of women listening to this or men listening to this would experience it but un- it's the unfortunate fate of reality that a lot of us probably are or yeah, have it's been just more common than we, we yeah wish. in a similar circumstance and it's fucked up and i just don't i don't know why we keep blaming the victim and not the person doing it because obviously the victim blaming has not been doing anything for the decades and eons that we've been doing it so Mom. why don't we switch why don't we switch things up a bit make it make her spicy yeah. So, um, yeah, that's my rant. Hope I didn't well, expose too much of myself, but at the same time, I think it's important to highlight the fact that women, every woman pretty much goes through some type of violence. I mean, like, maybe I'm speaking out of my ass, but coming from experience and, like, the women that have been surrounded by me, like, it's not, it's not an uncommon topic. and. Right. You know, I'm I'm done hearing about it, honestly. We're never done. Never done. That's why this podcast will forever remain in business, much to the dismay of the people hearing it, but... <laughs> much to the dismay of it actually not being a business, but... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we stop giggling so much and take it seriously, we'll... Oh. <laughs> Simba says well, no to that. Uh, 
Thank you, Kristen. Uh, I definitely feel like slapping that grandpa now. Yes. The joke makes sense now. I Yeah, I don't condone slapping grandpas, but if you want to slap this one, I'm sure he's still alive, so. <laughs> sure, he's probably fucking into it. He's misogynistic, twisted fuck, but please, please, guys, if you see something, say something, and just know you're not alone. You're not alone, and I'm terrible at speaking wise words, but... <laughs> Cheers to speaking on not only domestic violence, but the homelessness crisis that I know, especially now, given the COVID crisis, a lot of people are experiencing, and I don't think that enough people talk about. I agree, Kristen. Thank you for that. Cheers. Cheers to, um, you know, just always being aware as a woman like Kristen said, if you see something, say something. If authorities don't care or don't listen or don't believe you, fucking just try not to give up. Find someone who will listen. All right, guys. Well, we hope that you learned something or liked this episode, and we hope that you like comment subscribe and follow us on one of our social media accounts at r-a-r-w podcast and please like my posts because i'm getting super sad but if not (laughs) (laughs) if not maybe send us an email because you know she's still dry i know um you know she's probably never gonna happen but it would be nice just you know we gotta do an outro so here she is she wants some action red mm. rum and red wine podcast at gmail.com she's nice and lubed up and ready to go <laughs> <laughs> all right before i get canceled do <laughs>